We are sitting in the Psalms uh, for a little while, uh, meditating and walking through a Psalm a week. So I, I trust that last week, uh, Psalm 8 uh, drew your eyes to the majesty of God all around us, particularly in the fact that God uses weak things to accomplish His purposes. You remember that, uh, I think, verse 3 there? From the mouths of infants and babies, you have established strength to still your foes. What a majesty of God to use weak things to accomplish his purposes. So today we're in uh, Psalm 78. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles, Psalm 78. And we will read the first eight verses. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is a, uh, a psalm of uh, Asaph. If you look at the title there, it'll, it'll likely say that in your Bible, a psalm of Asaph, uh, in, in, amongst the collection of uh, around 10 uh, from Psalm 73 to uh, Psalm 83. Uh, it's a historical psalm. So if you look further down in your Bible from verse uh, 9 onwards, um, I think verse 9 to 11 uh, is, a, is a section in itself. And then from there, it just tells the story of Israel and and recounts some of what God's done for them and some of their own uh, folly and, uh, and, and mistakes and the way they didn't listen, the way they did listen, and the way the Lord was faithful and just kind of retells their story. But before it kind of gets into the history, it kind of, uh, it kind of has a, 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 almost a separate section here at the start and this is where we're going to be sitting today. So this... this uh, section here uh, kind of tells and talks about the tradition of passing on the record of God's work from generation to generation. So we're looking today at parenting as sharing the glory of God. Now let me start by setting the scene with a few thoughts that I think might help you take hold of this. The first one is this, the Old Testament family was one of community. So often when you think of a family unit, often the entire family lived together. So grandparents, uh, parents, children, uh, potentially also relatives living in the same uh, house or the same uh, area, working together. Uh, more than that, uh, the community was involved with each other. So think about the way God referred to Israel. They were his people. So there was a very uh, strong identity, a very strong sense of community, a very collective uh, story and experience. 
Two points from that. More and more, we today are individuals, aren't we? Like we're our own individual, we're our own couple in a marriage, we're our own family. You know, we have our own family heritage and we've got our own way of doing things and our own little habits and our own private backyards and private rear decks and our own family schedule. The way we live today, uh, you know, is vastly different. And it's important to recognize that because that creates some obstacles if we want to do as this psalm commands us. Uh, we are more and more disconnected from community. Let's, let me just start with this. Let's actively cut across that. Okay? Like, let's actively uh, go against that. Yes, let's be respectful to uh, family leadership and to the methods that parents have for their kids and their situation. Let's respect that and honor that. But let's get involved with each other. Like, let's work on. Uh, parenting as a community project. So let me give you a few examples. And this is holiday, so we're, we're going to be really quick and we're going to be really practical. So you just need to kind of buckle up for a little bit. Uh, here's some examples. Don't let that ratty kid go unchecked when mum's got her hands full with three other kids. You know, it's like you just kind of, oh, it's their family. We'll just leave them. Like, we'll just leave, we'll stay out of it. No, no, no. Don't stay out of it. Like, what are you doing? Like, get in there, help out. And do something about it. Or, or don't let that crying kid go unnoticed because mum or dad hasn't heard him yet. You know, and, and they're just, they've hurt themselves, they're skin the knee, you're like, oh, just go find your mum. No, do something about it, okay? You are part of their community. Let's get together and resist the fear of stepping on each other's toes, you know, like, oh, they do things a certain way. Well, good on them, <laughs> you know, respect that, but get involved where you can. Uh, let me, let me uh, take this a little bit further. When I talk about raising kids and I talk about parenting, I'm talking about everyone. Let me just rope you all in here. So I'm talking about discipleship, redemption, sanctification as a community project, something that we are all involved in. So I'm talking to singles. I'm talking to couples without kids. I'm talking to grandparents who think they're off the leash now. It's going, sorry to break you the bad news. You know, I'm not sorry, actually. I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> I'm happy to break the bad news to you. You're a part of this as well. It takes a village to raise a child. We've all heard of that, haven't we? So don't turn your ear away. When I say parenting, don't be one of those single people that just goes, oh, it's not for me. No, no, this is for you as well. Don't turn your ear away. What, how are some ways you can engage with that? Be regularly involved with families. Like just actively, regularly involve yourself with other families. Babysit for young families. Hint, hint. No, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> babysit you know, for young families and kind of get in amongst the, the chaos of that. Um, actively engage with kids. When's the last time you just got on one knee and just had a chat to one of our young kids here, like at the project? When's the last time you just introduce yourself? Hey, this is my name. What are you up to? You know, actively engage with kids. Uh, be reading to them. Be teaching them about Jesus. Uh, volunteer in kids' church, right? Like what, what does it say about our attitude towards children and our expectations 
of them when the leaders of Kids Church are regularly looking for volunteers. Like, what does that say? I'll leave it with you. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'll just leave, leave that with you to sit and think about what does it say about our expectations of kids and our attitude towards them. The other thing I want to say uh, about this is, is get your kids involved in a community group. Um, again, that's one of the central expressions of community for us. So don't assume your kids don't know or care about anything, right? Like, don't assume that, oh, it's, it's over their heads. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know how to interact with this. How do you think they're going to learn apart from you walking with them through uh, discipleship in community? Have a little faith in the work of Christ in them and walk with them through that. Listen to this, a quote. This is a quote written by an 18-year-old. Expect that we're thinking and growing, that we're pursuing truth and holiness and that we want sound doctrine. Don't perpetuate stereotypes of ignorance or immaturity without foundation. That's unfair. We, th- we don't think of the seniors in our churches as inept and senile. We know they're individuals with real personalities and passions. Sometimes adults can make faulty and hurtful assumptions about teenagers that, without even realizing it. It bothers me when I hear negative generalizations about my generation. Yes, there are some immature teenagers. Yes, there are some teenagers who are consistently irresponsible, disrespectful and disobedient to their parents. But that's not who we all are. How good's that? It's like, yes, there's hope for teenagers. You know? So involve your kids in community. If you sing together, sing with your kids. Make sure your kids are there. Let them see you as the parents and, and your community pouring out praise to God. Let them pray with you. Let them pray simple, faith-filled prayers with you together as a family, as a community. Let them serve beside you and, and let them ask questions and, and encourage them to together. Lastly, before we jump into the text, it needs to be said that parents, just in case, uh, in case you thought you were off the hook and you didn't need to be responsible and it was the community's responsibility to parent, <laughs> Parents are the primary disciples of their kids. That's parents. That's their responsibility. It is God's call on parents to raise their kids well. Like the Bible is, is really clear about that. Ephesians 6, uh, Colossians 3, uh, half of the book of Proverbs, uh, particularly Proverbs 13, 14, and 17, and the model that the beginning of the Proverbs gives to us, the way the mother... Uh, warns their children about uh, the dangers of folly and, and leads them towards the benefits of, of wisdom. Uh, God calls parents to account for the way they raise their kids. Remember this, this scripture in Matthew uh, 18. Listen to this. He says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Right? So how much more is that for parenting? The last note here is that youth, youth community groups, as, as a church, 
um, youth community groups and children's church, that, you know, they exist to support the work of parents to disciple and raise their kids. Like it, that's a support for them. So they are not the place where kids go to for their primary source of spiritual bread. That's not the plan for those ministries. Kids' church isn't like a fuel station where you drop your kids off for fuel for the week and they come back and you're like, you guys good to go? You know, like, you ready? So that's not the plan for those. They are a part of uh, the wider community that supports, uh, you know, that, that works to strengthen and equip parents on one side and on the other side to, uh, to teach and encourage kids. With that in mind, let's get into Psalm 78. Verse 4 says this, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. So he's talking about the truths of God. So the truths of God, we will not hide them from their children, but we'll tell them. So he's kind of, seems to, he's kind of ramping his way up, isn't he? He's like, it starts really simply, we're just not going to hide them, okay? Nothing big, guys. Let's just not hide the truths of God to the coming generation. What are some ways that we hide the truth of God? I want to suggest there's probably three ways. How do parents hide the truth? How do, how do uh, people within a community hide the truth of God from kids? Well, firstly, the, this one's really obvious, wickedness, like sin. This is the, the parent who knows what's right, but in their sin, they just blatantly, blatantly ignore it. So their kid's like bullying another kid and they just endorse it. You know, you get in. You know, or, or the, the child is disrespecting a parent and, and the, the, the uh, parent's just standing behind it going, yeah, they deserve it. <laughs> right, like you're hiding the truth of God from your kids because of your sin. Now, that's really obvious, right? It's like, obviously, you know, you're, you're hiding the truth of God. Let's get a little less clear here. Uh, it, it could be inaction. So this is the parent who knows what's right but doesn't want to do anything about it. You know, this, this could be one of the kids who gets into the habit of throwing tantrums to get what they want and the parent just goes along with it because they don't have the energy to do anything about it, right? It's like, I couldn't be stuffed dealing with this right now. So what do you want? Like, come on, what do you want? Let's just get this over and done with. I don't want to do anything. I'm feeling lazy. Just give me a list of demands and I'll see how I go. You know, like that... You're hiding the truth of God from your kids by your inaction. You could be. Obviously, that's hard. Yes, that's a really hard situation, but parenting's hard work. Thirdly, it could be a lack of clarity. This is even less clear. One of the ways you could be hiding the truth of God from your kids is that you don't actually know what the truth is. You don't know what's right. You're not valuing God's word. And you're not doing anything about it. This is the. It could be the dad who doesn't lead his family. Sorry, who doesn't lead his family spiritually. He doesn't take that call seriously. You know, it, it could be because he doesn't trust God as his own personal bread. That he doesn't lead his family that way. So they hide the truth of God from their kids by not even knowing it. Like I just, I don't even know. There's a lack of understanding there. Verse four, the second part of it says. Oh, actually, I didn't, um, I didn't include it there. It says, the glorious deeds of God. So it says, we will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of God and His might and the wonders that He has done. So what's the truth that the psalmist wants our kids to hear? Like, what, what's the truth? 
the glorious deeds of the Lord. Like that's so simple, but so consuming, right? Like let, what does your child need to hear more than anything else? That they can make it in life if they believe in themselves and try hard enough, right? Like if you have a good enough attitude, you'll get back what you give out, that they should do what is right, that they can live the good life if they work hard. <laughs> Rubbish. Rubbish. What does your child need to hear more than anything else? They need to hear about the glory of God and watch it transform their lives. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So God established... A law in Israel, so a truth, a standard with his people, and he commanded it to be taught. So the question that comes out of that, so if God has established truth and he's kind of said, this, you need to teach this to your kids, what's the question? Well, what's the truth? Like, what is it that we're supposed to be teaching? <laughs> how do you answer that question? Or how do we know God's truth? You know, through the word of God, through the Bible. How did God choose to reveal himself? The Bible, a book. So it's God's calling to parents to teach their kids the Bible. You know, listen to it from Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't get caught up in the discipline there. You know, a lot of dads going, oh, I got that covered. You know, like I've been working on my bicep muscles. Like, oh, we'll, 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 we'll handle that. Like, um, don't get caught up in that instruction, instruction of the Lord. What's the instruction of God? The Bible, right? The parents and, and community teach our kids the Bible. What does this look like? What can this look like? Dinner time around the table with the Bible open as a family. You know, when your kids are in the bath and they can't escape. It's like, she's going to read you the Bible. All right, we're going we're gonna to act out some stories. All right, you guys are going to be like the Leviathan, the sea monster, and whatever. I'm going to be. Moses, you know, just like engaging, actively um, stewarding the Bible with your, with your kids. So you're not, what you're not doing is you're not waiting for your kids to come home with a tough question about the Bible. You're going there, right? Like you're actively going there with them. What does it model for them? If you're doing that, if you, if you think of, you know, mealtimes, the Bible's open, breakfast, you're talking about it. You know, you're praying with them. What does it model for them? I think it models for them what Jesus said uh, to, uh, to Satan when he was tempted in the desert. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Kids, the most important food that we can feed you is the word of God, Right? Because you don't just live by food. Like you don't just live by physical food. That's not it. This is the food that nourishes your soul. Secondly, and uh, this, is, um, this is important. Part of our teaching our kids is teaching kids to read. Like considering the fact that God's story, the story of God is in a book. You know, that that's the primary way God chooses to reveal himself. Reading is of utmost importance, yeah? Like if you think about it, how do you know God? You know God through the Bible. What's the Bible? The Bible's a book. 
So reading is one of the most important things you can teach your kids. So parents of young kids, teach your kids to read. Like what greater gift could you give them? Like you think riding a bike is cool? Or you think like hand-eye coordination is cool? You know, oh, these holidays we're going to work on like throwing a ball because I just, man, it would be so cool for them to be able to work out this hand. Like cool, yeah, but what greater gift could you give them than knowing how to read the Bible? Like how about... How about giving them the gift of reading stories of God's mercy to his people in the Old Testament? Or reading the story of Jesus who became a baby? Can you think of a better gift you could give your kids than reading? Love to hear it if you can. But more than that, reading never stops. You know, adults here... Teach yourself to read more and more. You know, learn to read context and to read flow. Learn to read writing styles and, and patterns, you know, writing patterns. Learn to interpret well and apply diligently. Like you want to lead your kids, you know, you develop yourself, right? Like develop your own ability to read. So want to know Jesus more and more? Strengthen your reading. Because God reveals himself to us through a book. Now, just on this, just it, we are so crippled by social media and videos, aren't we? Like reading, it's like the digital uh, age has like set fire to our bookshelves. It's like, because I can have, I can now have a thousand books on my phone in my pocket. And I'm like, but you don't, do you? You know, it's like, what's that? You don't. You don't do it. You know, we can't, we can't focus anymore. You know, like we can't track well. We don't think deeply. We don't meditate and absorb, you know, concepts. We don't critically analyze. The internet kind of puts the world in our hands, but we don't even know what to do with it. So strengthen your reading. What are some ways you could do that? Change your evening habits. Like keep a book handy all the time so that when you have those little moments during your day you're not defaulting to your phone you're just defaulting to a book i just think it'd be really good for me to be reading more what else are you doing highlighting stuff highlight stuff so you can remember what caught your attention work work on retention rather than how fast you can read so don't speed read work on retaining information and share it, you know, share with others what you're reading in the Bible or outside of the Bible, share it because that helps you to digest it as well. Regarding the Bible itself, for young kids, get your hands on a Jesus storybook Bible, okay? For teenagers, try the NIV for teenagers. Now, don't just buy one and keep it in the, on the bookshelf. Like, I mean, buy each of your kids one, like go over and above, fork out the extra money to value the Bible and value... It's, uh, it's good to your kids. Get your hands on those. For, as, as, as an adult, um, there's a great resource by Desiring God called Look at the Book. If you want to um, increase your ability to read well and, and to analyze, a Look at the Book, incredible resource. Uh, Fighterverse is a great memorization tool. There's an app called Read Scripture. Um, you can't look it up now because your phones are off because you don't want the distraction. Uh, but afterwards, right, you know, afterwards, look up. It's just easy to remember two words, read scripture. Like, can it get any more obvious than that? That's a great resource. Very, very, very thorough. 
uh, very helpful. Uh, do what you can to strengthen your reading. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. We are talking the long-term game. So the picture that the psalmist gives us is you teaching your kids about Jesus so they can teach their kids you know, about Jesus, right? So it's not just your kids aren't the end goal. You've got in mind your grandkids knowing and loving Jesus. What a beautiful picture that is. So we're not talking about brilliance, right? We're not talking about like this family, amazing. They literally spend 90 minutes reading Leviticus every evening after dinner. You know, it's like we're not talking about brilliance. We're talking about consistency. We're talking about parents, you know, consistency, you know, over a long period of time, faithfully and diligently keeping the Bible in the center of the family, honoring Jesus. We're talking about kids reflecting upon their childhood and saying, man, mom and dad just loved Jesus. And they were just always talking about him. And they're always sharing him. And they're always pointing us back to him. Verse 7. So that they should set, set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. What's the goal? Like, what is the goal? What's the point? The entire reason we teach our kids is so they hope in God. Like, what, what more could you want for your kids than for them to hope in God? Like, you think, you think an education is the goal for your kids? Like, you think your kids will be fine in life if they get a good education? Or if they, if they have a, the sporting ability? Or them being comfortable? Or having a good awareness of themselves? Or their identity? Like, do you think that's going to save them? No. We want our kids to hope in Jesus, don't we? Like, that's all we want. We want our kids more than anything. What do we want for them? We want them to hope in Jesus. Verse 8. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We want kids, as you read along there, we want kids not to be rebellious, but to be obedient, to be steadfast and to be faithful. And notice we don't simply want kids who know about God. It's not a head knowledge they're talking about. Talking about, you know, it's, we want children to trust in God whose heart is steadfast. Now, ultimately, this is the work of God to call and save our children. Ever been anxious about your kid's salvation? You know, like, do you, do you hear that? You know, ever, ever had that fear grip you as a parent? What if they don't know Jesus? Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God ultimately this is the work of God to rescue and redeem the weary rebellious hearts of our kids and and look at what it does it requires the parent to do the same thing that the child does it requires the parent also to set their hope in God, to not forget his work and to obey his commandments. Parenting is an act of faith. I can't change my child's heart. That's the cry of the parent. 
I, I cannot change my child's heart. In those stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful moments, isn't that like the resounding cry? I can't do it. You know, when they're just, you know, they are just as stubborn as anything. The cry is, God, would you help us? I can't break through right now. Like it is a rock wall and I don't have a big enough hammer to get through this one. And right there in those moments, that's where we realize that we're no different. You know, like we're the same as them. We're just like them. Now we're gonna we're gonna sing with the kids in a moment, but before we do, like I think it's really important to realize that we're the stubborn and rebellious ones that Jesus came for, aren't we? You know? Like we're the forgetful ones that know better. It's I love that verse eight is there. <laughs> that they should not be like their fathers. It's like, dude, you're insulting us. <laughs> it's like we're right here. You know, the psalmist is like it's just calling all the all the parents out. You, we don't want your kids to be like you, right? What a rebellious and shaky and unfaithful generation. We're the ones throwing the tantrum because people aren't meeting our needs, right? Like we're the ones throwing our arms up when life isn't going the way we want it to, throwing a tantrum to God and saying, what are you doing? Come on. And demanding that he meets our needs. That's us. We're the ones, we're the kid who ran away from home, taking his father's inheritance and squandering it on rubbish like fools. We see ourselves in our kids, don't we? And in that, we thank God for Jesus. Jesus was the one who was faithful to God because we couldn't be, right? Like as a parent... When we're tested, we just see ourselves failing and unfaithful and stubborn and rebellious. We don't have the capacity in ourselves to be faithful to God, let alone parent our kids to do the same. We're calling our kids to a standard that we can't maintain. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Jesus was the one who was obedient to the end, whose heart was steadfast and who was faithful to God. Listen to this in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself, became a human and obeyed his father's will to the point of death so that you, as a parent, rather than trusting in your folly and your weak attempts, you can trust in Christ's work and his faithful attempt. Jesus is the one who completed the work for us, who redeems our hearts and change, changes desires. So what you see there in those moments of uh, testing and, and the moments of rebelliousness and stubbornness is you see a turning to Jesus. So be good to do that together, to model that.
you know, to, as parents, as children, to, um, to take time regularly with your kids to get into the Word, to model for them that Christ is of most value to us. That Christ is the one who changes our hearts and our desires.